1: Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my friend, dear old Melissa. Hi, Melissa.
0: Hi, Mandy. I see how you switched it up there whenever I mocked you <laughs> <laughs> under my breath. Congratulations. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm just as good as I was an hour ago when you asked me. Oh. This well. is our second recording of the night. So we're probably gonna be a little punchier tonight. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good this is a great case to be punchy yes. on. Yes. Super excited about this one. <laughs> Me too. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> I am too as excited as you can be. Except about this one is really good. A crime story. <laughs> it's not that terrible. This is not a murder story. No, it's not a murder um, story. Although there is murder in the story, this is not a story about a murder. Oh my gosh, why don't we just get to it? (laughs) Why don't we? (laughs) So we're talking about the 2015 summertime prison break in which two murder convicts successfully escaped from a maximum security prison in upstate New York. Their names were David Sweat and Richard Matt. But before we get into the events that led to their
0: escape, it is time for We We Out This City. (laughs) Don't do any more. I don't know if we have to pay for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the laws. Okay. So this week, our story takes place in Danamora, New York. In 2010, the population of Danamora was ,4898 people. Very, very, very small. Yeah, for sure. So Danamora is located on the upper east side of New York State, sharing a border with Vermont, and or it's rather close to Vermont, I should say. And uh, for those of you that have no idea where anything is in New York except New York City, that's me. Me too. Um, it is located about five hours north of New York City. So it's kind of like when people are like, oh, you live in Miami? No, actually, we don't. We, <laughs> we live five hours away. We live five <laughs> hours away. So, uh, Danamora was named after a city in Sweden named Danamora. <laughs> and that uh, city only has 213 residents, sort of like a sister city to the Danamora in. Uh, In New York, it reminded me a little bit of an episode of Parks and Recreation that Mandy. I'm not even looking at her anymore because she's just going to roll her eyes. um, Called Sister City with Fred Armisen, it was one of my favorite episodes. But they have like the Sister City come in and they think like, oh, it's going to be this great thing and we'll be great friends, but they're like super offensive. It's terrible. I love it. It's wonderful. Both of these cities are actually. Mining towns, So they're not really cities. Both of these towns are mining towns. Um, in fact, Danamora opened a prison in 1845 in order to use prisoners in mining operations. And this week, the focus of our story is on a state prison in Danamora.
1: So the real story, as we said, is about these two uh, prison convicts who escaped from this prison. And um, I wanted to kind of go into a little bit about why they were in prison in the first place, because the, those two stories individually are actually very... Interesting. So the first one I want to talk about is David Sweat. He came from a broken home, kind of was sketchy schooling. I, that's what—that's literally the term that I read. Sketchy schooling. <laughs> so I don't know if he just like went to like a sketchy school, or <laughs> if his, or if he like didn't go education to was sketchy. Exactly. So I don't know exactly what the deal was. He didn't have a great five star education. Apparently, uh, he was always causing trouble. He, him, and his cousin would get together and they would just do bad things like sell drugs and. They would occasionally live on the streets together. And um, eventually David got a girl pregnant. So David had a distaste for the police and he kind of would joke around. I guess it's not really a joke when you say these things, but he would always say to like friends and family that if he ever got caught doing any of these terrible things he was doing, that he would just have no problems killing the police officer. He had a long rap sheet, and at the age of 17, he was sentenced to two to four years for attempted felony burglary. And during in, in that situation, he had plotted out an entire plan on paper to steal computers and cash from a youth group home, and um, just idiotic stuff
0: like planning a burglary on paper <laughs> listen here's the thing if i was going to plan anything it would need to be on paper which is why i can't plan anything well Not you to can't remember. plan crimes yeah i
1: mean everything else is fine to plan on
0: paper yeah that's the one thing like yeah you you gotta keep a mental note in your head you have the to old like, noggin. burn the paper
1: so david had also uh, broken into shops and stolen guns vehicles fireworks really whatever he could steal he was kind of a klepto. In 1997, correction officers found a list of all the thefts that he planned to commit if the judge gave him furlough, uh, which he did not get. Can't imagine why. Yeah. After Uh, (laughs) that list. On July 2nd, 2002, David and a couple of accomplices stole a 1979 Winnebago. The camper was part of a plan to burglarize a gun shop in Great Bend, Pennsylvania, and then live in the camper in hiding.
0: That is an Old Winnebago. Yeah. Even in 2002. Yeah. What is it, 23 (laughs) years old? Those things don't last forever. I guess they do.
1: Yeah, I know. But also, like, this sounds like a plan that I would come up with when I was, like, 14. Like, I can handle living on my own. Let me go get a Winnebago and live in the woods. Oh, yeah. You know, like, that that's not going to work. Oh,
0: I planned on living in the woods several times. I did
1: too. I had like a list of things I was going to take with me, like all the things I would need and none of them were important. Like no, no. stuff like shampoo. Because
0: like, you, know? you want your hair to be fresh when you're living out among the mice and snakes. No food, no, no. water. No, no, no plan. I literally just had ways to like look nice. For yeah. <laughs> when you were captured, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know.
1: On July 3rd, 2002, the very next day, David met his accomplices uh, to plan this gun theft that they were going to do. The three men headed to Pennsylvania around 11.15 p.m. And they stole a truck to get there. And all three of the men were armed at this time. They ended up ramming this truck into the front door of the business that they were going to rob, and they ransacked it and stole uh, handguns, long guns, and knives. And then around 3.30 in the morning, they parked at Grange Hall Park to move the weapons into David's 1990 Honda. So a sheriff's deputy named Kevin Tarsia spotted the vehicles parked at the park and was probably curious about why they were there at that time of the night or early morning, and he went over there to investigate. David's two accomplices took off and hid while David got under the truck to hide. Why would you get under the truck? Well, that feels very Breaking Bad-ish, doesn't yeah. it? Like, let me just get under here and everything will work out. Yeah. Eh. Not the worst idea. He could have yeah. just stood there. <laughs> so the deputy got out of his patrol car and saw David laying under the truck. And in one hand, he had an assault rifle. And in the other hand, he had a Glock handgun. So... He said a few words to him, like put the guns down and David refused. so the officer uh, attempted to draw his own weapon, but then David came out from under the truck and opened fire on the deputy, um, hitting him several times. He actually survived a couple of shots. he he was wearing bulletproof vests and right. he did survive um, a getting hit a couple of times um, but he was you know injured quite a bit and he was on the ground and then instead of just getting out of there, Um, David got in the car and ran the officer over. Wow. And um, he kind of dragged him across the parking lot. And the officer miraculously still did not die from that. Wow. And um, but then the two accomplices came out of the woods and they were kind of telling David like to finish off the officer and that he needed to shoot him. Well, David didn't want to do that. So uh, one of the accomplices actually grabbed the officer's weapon and shot him twice fatally killing, you know, fatal shots and killed him. Um, really, really sad and terrible situation yeah. for that, for that officer. Um, so he actually laid there on the ground for two hours before a passerby found him, which is just another heartbreaking part of that story. Um, and so it was about five forty in the morning when it was even discovered and they could even start looking for the people who did this. Oh, wow. On July 21st, 2002, David pled guilty to first-degree murder in that um, case, and he would be serving a life sentence in a state
0: prison. So at this time, he was 34 years old. Richard Matt was an adopted child of foster parents. He was known as a bully, and he terrorized kids on the school bus at school. Just a total bully. He escaped from a group home around the age of 13. At that time, he hid in a state park and took food, supplies, supplies, and essentials, not shampoo like Mandy was apparently stealing or bringing (laughs) for her runaway from home, um, from various vacation homes. As he got older, he was known to police as Ricky Matt, and he was arrested eight times between the late 80s and early 90s. His crimes ranged from harassment to felony assault to possession of weapons. Um, He was also known around town as someone who you didn't really want to hang around Shocking. Sounds like it. Shocking. Yeah. yeah. With that record, in June of 1986, while serving time at the Erie County Correctional Facility for assault, he climbed a fence trying to escape. He was able to pol- evade the police for four days and was apprehended at his brother's house. So they've already got like a living that es- escapee life. life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Hashtag escapee <laughs> <don't know>.
0: life. <laughs> yeah. but well, they're already doing that and like, living out like among the elements i don't know they've been doing this for a while this right. is like <laughs> this is not as this is not you. normal exactly in 1991 uh he convinced this one blew my mind he convinced another prisoner to pay fifteen thousand dollars bail to get him released while he was awaiting trial for rape
1: how did the other inmate have fifteen thousand dollars? Right. What am I doing wrong in and my why life? Why didn't he use it to get himself out of jail? That I was my know. question. Like, if you have that kind of money, why aren't you getting your
0: own bail? Yeah, like- well, yeah. I guess maybe they did not have bail or on the shelves. Yeah, maybe yeah, not. yeah. Maybe not. Hmm. So why not? Let's just give it away. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, you never know. This guy seems like he was very, as we get on with the story, very manipulative and stuff. So who knows what what he was sold. To get somebody to pay $15,000 to bail. (laughs) December 3rd, 1997, Richard's boss, William Rickerson, went missing. Um, Several days later, body parts started to wash up on shore. And at this point, that's when police started their murder investigation. As it turned out, Richard and an accomplice kidnapped the 76-year-old man, believing that he had access to large sums of money. So they actually drove around with this guy in the trunk of his car for 24 hours, beating him and demanding to know where this money was. Richard actually broke the man's neck with his bare hands and then dismembered the body and threw it into a river and fled the state of New York into Mexico. That's a long distance. That is a very long drive. But I guess if you've committed murder, you're maybe. Why didn't you just go to Canada? That's what I don't understand. That's a. <laughs> you're like right there. Yeah, that's. Hmm. In Mexico, he attempted to rob a man of $300 and ended up stabbing him to death. He was caught at this point by po- Mexican police and convicted in Mexican court. He was sentenced to 23 years in prison. At this point, he climbs onto the roof in the prison in Mexico and attempts to escape. Guards shoot at him. They were able to capture him. And um, at this point, he's extradited back to the U.S. in 2007. Mexican officials said he was a, quote, Difficult prisoner. <laughs>
1: That's why they were all too happy to send him you back want him, to the U.S. You want him to- <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That I love it. That sounds like something you would get in like a third grader's like note home. Like right. he had a difficult day. Right. It was a difficult <laughs> prisoner. In March of 2008, Richard Matt was convicted of William Rickerson's murder. He was made to wear a stun belt, and snipers were sitting outside the courtroom because they thought he might try to escape during trial. I wonder why they thought that. Right. <laughs> in June of 2008. He was transferred from Niagara County Jail to Clinton Correctional Facility. At this point, he is 48 years old. He meets David Sweat while in prison at Clinton Correctional Facility, and they form a twisted murder friendship. Like ours, but not. (laughs) But not. (laughs) Kind of like ours, yeah. Murder Friendship Podcast. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So um, Richard was also known as an amateur portrait artist and was somewhat of a prison celebrity. If that's celebrity, I don't want anything to
1: do with I it. I guess that's what you get. That's as good as that's as close as you get when you're in prison. If you can just if you have a talent, like you yes. know, those guys who do like prison tattoos, like sure. I'm sure
0: they're like the most popular guys on Cell Block C. <laughs> have you been watching Sixty Days In Again, Mandy? Cell Block C is where it's at. I actually have, Melissa. It's so good. Aren't you excited? I actually have. I know. I have.
1: Um What season I, are you in?
0: I don't know. Son of Uh How do
1: you know? I'm only on the same one that I started watching before. I've watched like three episodes total now, so...
0: Okay, I'm back to not being that excited about <laughs> this.
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. So while these two clowns are in Clinton Correctional Facility, they meet and befriend a prison employee named Joyce Mitchell. She was 51 years old at the time of this story, and she was a seamstress who worked in the prison tailor shop at the prison. She was 51 years old at the time of the story, and she was a seamstress in the prison tailor shop at... Clinton Correctional Facility. Her husband, named Lyle, also worked in the prison. I believe he also worked in the tailor shop, but they were kind of in different areas. And Lyle looked like a Lyle. Yes, he did.
0: He's a very nice man. Yes, but he's a Lyle. He's a Lyle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Lyle
1: Lovett is what I mean. So at this time in Joyce's life, uh, she was kind of depressed and she felt like she was unloved in her marriage and she was looking for something more in life. So instead of just taking up a new hobby, she decided to start developing and fostering friendships with inmates that she worked around. So sometimes these relationships turned inappropriate and flirtatious in nature, which I don't understand how you go from – I don't understand how you even get to that point mentally –
0: Basically, to me, it feels like Joyce was living like love after lockup, but like love while in lockup. Right? She like skipped that TL- or that special on yeah. Wee TV, and she's doing <laughs> her own thing.
1: So she befriended uh, Sweat and Matt, but apparently, she fell in love with Ricky Matt. She thought he was hot. Yeah. She wanted what he had, I guess, which she was she not much. <laughs> So both of the inmates also worked in the prison tailor shop, but Sweat had been moved to another area after another prison official suspected that there was an inappropriate relationship between Joyce and himself. Um, later in 2013, Joyce started doing these little errands for Matt, and she would call his daughter uh, for him. And at one point, she had called to ask. It was. It started off with simple things, like she called to ask if, uh, if. She had received this portrait that her right. dad had sent or something like that. And then it turned into um, she would just be regularly in contact with this inmate's daughter right. and um, had said that, like, oh, well, the daughter was thrilled because, she, she, you know, she felt like she had someone on the inside who was looking out for her dad and cared for. Yeah.
0: It's still an inappropriate relationship. But, you know, what? I do understand, like, Joyce being a lonely mom – I understand where she could, that could have started off very innocently and she thought I'm doing this nice thing and this poor girl and you know, I can see where that could have started off. Yeah. I don't break the rules ever. No, I know. I know But you if I was <laughs> going to break the rules, I understand that one.
1: So at some point, Joyce asked uh, Matt if he would draw a portrait of her children so she could give it to her husband as an anniversary gift.
0: I Let feel like she really, <laughs> I feel like she really phoned that one in. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So she bought uh, an in as payment for this portrait um she bought him a pair of boxing gloves which I don't understand you can't have those
0: in prison can you I feel like a lot of the things that goes on in this story you cannot have in prison right I, mean, I don't understand that seems like a big one to bring in right too. Like,
1: like a set of boxing like no one's gonna notice these
0: yeah. So she also smuggled in cookies,
1: brownies, and pepper, which I'm not sure what he needed that for. But Sometimes <laughs> those brownies need a little pepper, man. <laughs> he requested it, so she brought it. Uh, so Matt eventually asked Joyce to bring him two pairs of spectacles with lights and said that it was so that he and David Sweat could paint at night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't with that. That's- I so. <laughs> I don't, you know, no, Joyce, no Mama Joyce. Yeah. Good.
1: Yeah. So in late April of 2015, Joyce alleges that Matt grabbed her and kissed her. They just were hanging out in the tailor shop. Yeah. And Matt came over and said, well, he didn't say anything. He just grabbed her and kissed her. Just plain
0: mouth is what she said. Ugh. Please don't comment on whether there was tongue or not. I can't handle it. I didn't read Mandy, that stop. far. <laughs> I stopped reading after that. Okay. So after um,
1: this little makeout session, they um, he requested a specific drill bit. It was like a starfish head or something. I don't know anything about drill bits. <laughs> oh, it's a starfish head drill bit. That's what, I'll be right back. <laughs> it was something along those lines. Um, so Joyce bought it and gave it to him. Like, hello.
0: <laughs> this is Mandy's. Just moving her arms all around, like I'm supposed to follow what she's saying, or I that just, you can see it. Because why do you think? Um- This is a good idea, Joyce. I'm painting at night, Mandy.
1: (laughs) By May, they had taken their physical relationship to the next level when Joyce and Matt went to what we only assume is third base. We're not really sure what the bases are. I'm going to Google
0: bases. (laughs)
1: So after they had uh, gotten to third base, um, they just kept on going with their baseball game, I guess you would say. Um, So Joyce would actually be um, fondling (laughs) Mr. Ricky Matt underneath what I assume was a dirty old prison coat. Um, I don't know if it was dirty, but it was a prison coat. Now it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Touché, Melissa. <laughs> so meanwhile, Joyce was taking sexually explicit photos for David Sweat and writing him sexy notes. But allegedly, she did not have any sexual contact with him. She just, um, she only had eyes for Ricky Matt, but she was still but taking she had photos for the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Later in May, Matt asked Joyce to bring him some hacksaw blades, which should have been red flag warning bells and a big yellow sign that said, turn back now. Uh, But he told her they were for making frames, I guess, to frame his wonderful portraits. And instead of just turning them in, she decided that she would help them get these hacksaws into the prison. And the way she decided to do that was to hide them in a block of frozen hamburger meat. Sure. Sure. Right. So Matt told the guards that this hamburger that was coming in was for goulash.
0: Speaking of food, Mandy's going to share a little bit about this week's sponsor.
1: As a mom, it's important to me that my kids learn to love a variety of healthy food options. But anyone with kids will tell you that it's not always easy to get them to eat what I call sad chicken and boring vegetables. We recently tried the Picky Eater Kid Tested and Approved Family Meal Plan from HelloFresh. Each box is made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients from carefully selected farms and highly trusted sources. My kids loved the pineapple chipotle chicken legs with jasmine rice and roasted snap peas, and I loved not having to plan dinner, spend money on takeout, or worry about hitting the store for those last-minute meal ingredients. HelloFresh believes in making cooking feel less like a chore. They keep the recipe simple and easy to follow with all the ingredients coming in pre-measured labeled kits, so there is no guesswork in creating these meals. The best part is the recipes only take around 30 minutes from start to finish. There are many benefits of subscribing, but my personal favorite has been getting out of my comfort zone and discovering new delicious recipes. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit hellofresh.com/momsandmurder30 and use code Moms and Murder 30 at checkout. That's hellofresh.com/momsandmurder30 and use code Moms and Murder three zero at checkout. So the frozen hacksaw meat was transported in an envelope with tubes of paint around it. So if the bag went off when it went through the metal detector, then they would just think that it was going off because of the paint tubes and would completely ignore the fact that there's a saw in the middle of the meat. Because also it's completely logical to put raw meat and paint tubes together in the same package, right? Um, If you shop at Food and Stuff that was also on Parks and Rec, then you get your food and and your stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. So Joyce also smuggled in chisels and a punch with the same frozen meat
0: method. Somebody is not doing what they're supposed to be doing at this prison. (laughs) I think a lot of someones are not doing what they're supposed to be doing or doing what they're supposed to not be doing. (laughs) (laughs) Or something
1: like that. So Joyce says at first she had absolutely no idea why the men wanted all these items, but eventually came to learn that they were planning to escape from the prison with them. Well, I don't know. What did you think they were going to do with all these things? Play all of this out to the end. If escape isn't on top of your list of possibilities, the next thing down the list is still not something good. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Best case scenario, somebody's getting shanked with these things. Like, nothing good. Exactly. So the two inmates had allegedly felt that Joyce's husband, Lyle, was a glitch in their major plan, and they wanted to get him out of the way, a.k.a. kill him, as soon as they escaped from the prison, which I guess Joyce did not object to initially.
0: So meanwhile, Sweat and Matt were working on their escape plan. Every night they'd stay up, chiseling out a tunnel to the free world. This all reminds me, and I know this comes up, about uh, very much of what are their characters' names in Shawshank Redemption, Mandy? Do you remember their names? Did you see Shawshank Redemption? I've
1: seen it. Nope. A couple of times as I'm falling asleep for the night. There's only one line that
0: I could tell you from Shawshank
1: Redemption, and I don't think you want me to say it on this
0: podcast. No, don't, don't okay. say it. Okay. <laughs> I feel like somebody's name was Red, but that could be wrong. I'm, I'm having a total meltdown in my brain right now. We've recorded two episodes tonight. My brain's done. So David had sawed a hole at the back of his cell, and he worked on making it wider and wider and longer and longer each night. Through trial and error, he created a maze of tunnels until he found a way out. There were actually manhole covers outside of the prison, and that's where they were trying to get to, like like little whack-a-moles popping up through the <laughs> through That's the like ground. the best like analogy to escaping from prison via like tunnels underground. Yeah, like, it's just, just popping up. Oh. Like, <laughs> there were obstacles. At one point, Sweat tried cutting through concrete, but heat from nearby steam pipes became so unbearable that he had to rig up a fan from his cell and use electricity from the tunnel's lights, which... Mandy pointed out, "Why were there lights down there? Yeah, what are these tunnels used for? I know that there's tunnels underground in some prisons, all prisons. I have Is no this like clue. The Denver Airport. Well, I can figure this out. Well, obviously,
1: it's not a tunnel that's meant for people to go through. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to be down there chiseling a hole big enough to fit through. So, Is it
0: I for poop. I don't understand. Maybe
1: that's what I'm thinking. I think they were literally
0: crawling around in like the oh. sewer pipes. Yikes. Okay, no, thank you." <laughs> So all the while, no one in this prison is doing their jobs and nobody's checking on these guys. So Sweat had started working on his tunnel in January of 2015. At some point, he was able to cut a hole from his cell to Matt's cell. After a month of sawing all the live long day, Sweat had reached access to enclosed catwalks behind the cells. He would crawl through his tunnel starting around 1130 at night when they'd had their head count. So... At 11.30, they were doing their job. Right. And would work all night and return to a cell before the 5.30 a.m. head count. So they used a sledgehammer and other tools to chip away at the concrete of the tunnel wall. They had a second set of work clothes that, like, work coveralls, I guess, that they would use when they were down there because of all the dust and grime and possibly sewage that they were encountering. Ugh. So no one would notice, you know, when they were up waking up at 5.30 that they weren't having these, like, night terrors but with like poop and dirt all over them I guess. So it took about four weeks for them to carve out a space large enough for the men to fit through. They actually did a dry run before the actual escape on June 6, 2015. On June 6, 2015 they found a spot in the tunnel that ran under the prison's outer walls and they emerged 20 feet away from the prison. They left clothes in their beds To make it look like they were still there, when it's like what you do when you're a
1: teenager and you sneak out and you're like want your mom to look in and be like, oh, she's sleeping in bed. So did you do that, Mandy? No. Okay. So cool kids on TV.
0: (laughs) We saw this on Nickelodeon. So, but they also left a note that read, "Have a nice day." (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It is is funny. (laughs) It is funny. Like whatever they did, that's I don't know. Yeah.
1: So after they escaped, they didn't really have a well thought out plan for what they were going to do next. Right. This is like Anthony which, Curcio stealing right.
0: all that money and like, no. But what?
1: you would think that while you're down under the concrete, like digging out, chiseling off concrete for five months, you think while you were down there, you would at least be like, what am I going to do when I get out of here? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they had plenty of time to think about this. For sure. Um So Joyce was supposed to pick them up in a getaway vehicle, which was a Jeep, which is a vehicle they chose because, again, they were all planning on going out to live in the woods, which... Joyce should have known better at this this point in her life, 51. You should definitely realize you can't just go live in a Jeep in the woods. But um, she was on board for it. So she was supposed to um, drug her husband. So one of these inmates had actually given her two pills that she was supposed to give to her husband that were supposed to make him, like, sleepy and knock him out so that he wouldn't question where she was going uh, when she went to go pick up these inmates because she had already told them, like, I don't go anywhere without my husband. He's not going to like, it's not going to fly for me to be like, oh, I'll be back, honey. Like, you know, he's going to want to know where you're going. Obviously, they're a married couple, so I don't leave my house and just be like, you know, not telling anyone where I'm going. And nobody um, would
0: question you. If you leave the house, somebody's going to be like, what are are you doing? doing? Yeah. Right.
1: (laughs) So she was supposed to give him these two, her husband, these two pills and drug him so that he wouldn't be an issue when she was going to go pick up these inmates. Um, So she was also instructed to bring a shotgun with her so that they could saw off the shotgun and have a sawed-off shotgun because you definitely need that when you're a prison escapee. So that night, Joyce had dinner with her husband, and then sometime during dinner, I guess, the reality of what was going on started to sink in. So Joyce got a little case of the nerves and went into a little case of the nerves. <laughs> she went into full blown t- panic attack mode and her husband actually took her to the local hospital because Her anxiety attack was so severe that she thought she might actually be having a heart attack. Yeah. And really, it was just the crushing weight of the reality that you just helped to murder convicts escape from prison. Right. And now you're supposed to pick them up, and they want to kill your husband. And at this point, Melissa – this is Melissa's favorite part. It was at this time when she said, I knew I was in over my head.
0: Like, really? Now (laughs) you know you're in over your head? Like, when you're sliding stuff to them or – groping them or rounding bases (laughs) at no point (laughs) are you like too far Joyce too far yeah
1: (laughs) so when Joyce failed to show up to pick up the men they fled into the woods nearby there were hundreds of New York state troopers uh, correctional officers federal and local officers and bloodhounds helping in the manhunt they chased leads all over the state of New York with sightings reported as far as Philadelphia Apparently, Ricky Matt was in poor physical shape and he just couldn't keep up with David Sweat, who was growing more and more irritated with the old man. And uh, he was also kind of mad at him because they had stopped into uh, broke into a cabin that they had found in the woods, which sounds like a horror movie. Right. Um, And I guess I don't know what David Sweat wanted to do, I guess refuel on water and snacks, but um, Ricky, wanted Matt, cargo load. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Ricky Matt saw a bottle of booze and thought, well, I've been in jail a long time, so I'm just going to sit here and get drunk, which is really, I agree, not a good idea when you're on the run because you got to have your wits about you. But also YOLO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after this little incident where uh, Matt got drunk, they... Uh, David Sweat was really irritated. The two men decided that they were going to split up. So at this point, um, they each have a $75,000 bounty on their heads. And um, that's a lot of money. So there was people looking for him.
0: Do you remember this at all whenever it yes, was happening? Okay, I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember watching maybe the Today Show or something. They just every day would have clips. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I would hate to live there because they just had no idea where they were and they yeah. like, are saying like they've escaped several times and here's this lady who helped them and you're right. like what
1: right well I have family that lives yeah. in New York so I was scared and they kept saying like they could be anywhere in the state and they could be this and that and like that's scary to oh, yeah. think that I mean there's people loose and they're they, killed they have nothing people, to lose right they've killed people before they're not just in for you know, even robbery or anything, which is still bad, but it's not killing someone. But yeah, yeah, it was terrifying, like whenever they didn't know where they were. And then the longer that it went on, and it went on for a while, but the longer it went on and on and on, and you're just like, surely in 2015, people cannot just escape from prison and not be caught. The day after the escape, Joyce was questioned by authorities. So that did not not take very long. Uh, She she ended up being questioned over 20 hours um, in the following week. On June 12th, the inmates still had not been found and Joyce was arraigned on charges relating to help them escape. She told investigators that she had provided power tools and cell phone access to the men while they were planning this great prison break that they pulled off. On June 17th, police released these projections of what the men would look like after having been on the run for over a week. So um, they had, of course, their inmate photo and then they said... Okay, well, they haven't shaved in a week. They haven't eaten in a week, really, or at least nothing substantial that they could. They were figuring they were living in the wilderness. Right. So they kind of had these, uh, like, an age progression photo, but it was like a living in the woods for a week that progression is, photo.
0: Sadly, like, the funniest thing I've ever heard in this whole thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's been a week. It's not been. I- <laughs> How much different are they going to be? They weren't eating bugs; they were breaking into places. Well, I mean, they might have been eating some bugs. I don't know. So on June 19th,
1: almost two weeks in, uh, their wilderness experts kind of weighed in on this and said that the men may not survive much longer if they are, in fact, just living off the land. Right. Um, It is harder than you think. (laughs) Yeah, which is
0: why we never went off and ran away when we were children. Exactly. Um, so they
1: extended the manhunt into Pennsylvania. Of course, they were very close. And on June 22nd, 2015, 20 miles from the Clinton Correctional Facility, they found DNA inside a cabin in Owl's Head, New York. So police warned the campers that were in that area to be on the lookout. If I was a camper, I would have hightailed it right out of there. Who's camping
0: at this yeah. point? <laughs> I, I
1: wouldn't be camping in the whole nation at this point. I know, no. I've been I, terrified. No, definitely not in uh, in New York. On June 24th, the state police warned that the men may be armed, which I think they already knew a long time before that, and I'm not really sure why they didn't say that a right. long time ago. On June 25th, another prison employee named Gene Palmer was also charged with helping the inmates. He had knowingly passed along the meat that had the frozen tools inside, so I knew there had to be someone Right, else. another inside person. Right, that's just going to turn the other cheek. Like You have to have the person who's scan doing the metal detection yeah. on your side. I feel but like
0: what what benefit is this f- for you? What what are you getting out of this? Like, I don't know. Who's paying you? What kind of I honey buns are you getting in bored this? In life?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Maybe So on June 26, 2015, police believe the men may be heading to Canada, and they released this information. They said they had reason to believe they were headed for the border, and um, they had Canadian border police looking out for them. Of course, all the New York state officials were looking out for them. Um, Just hours later, reports came in that Richard Matt had actually been shot and killed by police near Malone, New York, which was 27 miles from the prison that he escaped from. And um, apparently Matt had shot a shotgun at a car that was passing and then. That obviously drew attention to himself, and then when the police officers caught up to him, um, they confronted him outside this cabin where he had been squatting, basically just living there, and uh, he had the gun, and the police told him to drop the gun, and he refused, and they shot him. So at the time of his death, he had a blood alcohol level more than twice the legal limit, and he was covered in bug bites. The police believed that he had gotten sick, and they thought that um, he may have drank some dirty water or bad food because apparently his undergarments were... Severely soiled.
0: But not, would you call that soiled?
1: (laughs) Trashed. They were just (laughs) trashed. They discovered poopy underwear, okay? Yeah. So two days later, a police sergeant spotted David Sweat a mile and a half from the Canadian border and chased him into an open field. He ordered him to stop running, and when Sweat did not comply, the officer fired at him, causing a non-lethal injury. He was taken to a hospital in Albany, New York, and on July 5th, he was moved to a special housing unit in the Maximum Security 5-Point Correctional Facility in Romulus, New York. After his capture, David Sweat told police all about how he and Matt had practiced their escape and were almost found twice during the manhunt. The first time, they were hiding in a cabin when three people showed up. They debated on what they should do and ultimately decided to leave, which, thank God, they didn't decide to hurt anyone there. Right. The second time, David Sweat was hiding in a hunting tree stand when a police officer passed by.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: I know. I don't know how to feel about that one. Yeah. Um, so he then said that the two had split up on June 23rd because Matt was slowing him down.
0: So David Sweat pled guilty to two felony counts of first degree escape, which is a real thing apparently, and one count of promoting prison contraband. He was sentenced to three to seven years on top of a life sentence, and he was ordered to pay almost $80,000 in restitution, which no one will ever see a penny of. Don't think prison, actually his prison paintings could be going for more these days. Not from Joyce. (laughs) Not from Joyce. Gene Palmer also pled guilty to promoting prison contraband and served four months and was fined $5,375. That seems, so, it seems like such a light. That's yeah. like a slap on the wrist. Well, it's millions of dollars right. in this whole chase, and you've helped with it. And, oh, my goodness, if somebody would have been killed during this, I hope they would have gotten, like, attempted murder charges or something, you know? Because obviously they could not have done this on their own; they right. needed these other accomplices, really. So, on July twenty eighth, two thousand fifteen, Joyce pled guilty to helping the men escape and agreed to provide info on the quote systematic breakdown at the prison. She yeah, she would not face sexual assault charges
1: because whenever you work in a prison, even though you are all consenting adults, apparently, right, um, it's still considered assault when a prison worker has sexual relations with. Uh, An inmate, yeah. Right. Whether they agreed to have sex with you or not.
0: Yeah. Right. The manhunt totaled $23 million in cost to the state of New York. Joyce was sentenced to up to seven years for her role in the escape plot, fined $6,375, and the state also wants over $119,000 in restitution. Joyce made a lot of apologies during her court sentencing. Here's one quote. On June 5th, 2015, inmate Matt told me it was the day he and inmate Sweat were breaking out of the facility. I know I had agreed to help them escape and run away with them, but I panicked and couldn't follow through with the rest of the plan. I really do love my husband, and he's the reason I didn't meet inmate Matt and inmate Sweat. Yeah, I'm not buying any of that (laughs) at all. Like, I don't, she upsets me so much, So I did, oh, and I remember seeing, um, the interviews with like her husband and son. So very early on, like the first day whenever her name was coming out, her husband was like, nope, didn't do it. And her son was like, nope, didn't do it. And then her son kind of eventually was like, "Woo, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And that was hard to see for them. Um, another quote, I didn't want anything to happen to Lyle and I couldn't imagine being without him. Lyle, again, is her husband. I believe I helped inmate Matt and inmate Sweat escape because I ca- was caught up in the fantasy. I what know, fantasy? I know. Yeah, none. Best case scenario. Come on, Joyce, just play best case scenario <laughs> over and over again. I enjoyed the attention, the feeling of them gave me, the feeling both of them gave me, and the thought of a different life. Mitchell said in the documents, "What different life?" <laughs> yeah, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it's going to be that great of a life there, Joyce. You're going to be on the run and. Filled with bug bites and poopy pants. And living in a camper or a Jeep, even worse. I mean, poopy pants. (laughs) A life of poopy pants. So Joyce is still serving her sentence. Her husband, Lyle, has been sticking by her the entire time. He says that she has, quote, a heart of gold and has forgiven her. He forgave her literally in the very beginning. But the upsetting part is he's, like, really fighting for her. Like, he cannot believe Gene Palmer got such a light sentence and – I agree that that dude got a light sentence in comparison, but she was, I feel like she was not the mastermind of this, but she was pushing all she these things She was very forward. involved. She was very aggressive. Right. Very aggressive. I agree.
1: Yeah. And I do feel bad for the husband because like I you do. said, like it really is heartbreaking and like I can understand for him, like in some way psychologically, like he feels like she saved his life because she didn't go pick these inmates up and like allow them to kill him, you know? Right. So he's like, oh, she really does love me, which is a really twisted love story. <laughs> but yeah. But he is standing by his woman. Yeah. And he is waiting for her to get out of prison. Yeah.
0: In a few years. I mean, we, there's only like 4,000 people in that town. Probably. Yeah. Probably didn't have sure. <laughs> So when Joyce uh- – Gets out of prison, she really wants to pursue a career in criminal justice. That made me laugh so hard. As what, Joyce? As a criminal? I don't understand. What are you <laughs> How doing? How to get away with crimes. <laughs> Not by Joyce Mitchell, because she can't do it. <laughs> she appealed for parole in 2017, but was denied. A lifetime movie was made entitled entitled New York Prison Break. The Seduction of Julius Mitchell. (laughs) (laughs) Mandy looked for this online but could not
1: find it for free. I actually couldn't find it at all, not even for free. I was really – I would have bought it because I wanted to – there was a uh, Lifetime movie, but then they also did a documentary that was like more the real story. Mm -hmm. And I could find the title of the documentary. I could find the title of this movie, but you cannot watch that anywhere.
0: Maybe it's for the best.
1: And there was also like a two-part interview on the Today Show with Matt Lauer, yeah. and all I could find was a five-minute clip, and I was really mad about that, too. Like, aren't there archives of
0: interviews? Like, no. why couldn't I find that? Hmm. Good question. We're Very not that good. Very irritating. At, we're not that good at the internet, either. So that no, be we're part not. Yeah. So that's our story on the great prison break of 2015. And by great, I mean... Terrible. What a hot mess that was. <laughs> yeah. So not murder, something different. Right up our alley. Yeah. Yeah, I like
1: doing uh, non-murder cases every now and then. Yeah,
0: if you have cases that are wild and crazy, um, lots of lots of twists and turns and stuff, send them to us. We, they don't all have to be murder. In fact, we welcome a non-murder story. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Before we go, we had a couple quick hellos to do tonight. Mandy? Yes. What you got? So we want to say a shout out to
1: Alicia Mazzetti. She is a friend of a longtime listener of ours, Stacey P., who is also a member of the Mod Squad of our Facebook group. Don't call it that. <laughs> I like calling it that just because it's so corny. Ugh, you know what bothers me. Um, so I me. love that. So hi, Alicia. Thank you for listening to us. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Stacey, for forcing your friends to listen to us. (laughs) Yeah, we appreciate it. That's probably where most of our listeners come from, Stacey forcing people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, a week or two ago, we were on the Sip and Shine podcast with Carrie, and that was so great and wonderful. And make sure you check that out. She was recently on for Crying Out Loud this week. Um, She was talking about um, her son and mental health issues that he's had and how their families worked through them. And it's really, really a great episode. I don't know why I got onto that exactly, but my, our other shout-out is from a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jodi with Reality TV. Her sister and her sister's daughters apparently really like us, and they like us more than they like Jody. I think. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like Jody more than I like us, so they're really doing this wrong. Gee, thanks, Jodi. <laughs> no. Thanks for taking my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. So, um, So hi to Jill and her daughters, Elise, Emily, and Elena. If I didn't say it right... Just let me know and I'll re-record and just say it in various different names. Elena, Alina, Alana. And just edit in your own head. Just take <laughs> take it out and pretend that's what I said. I'm not good with names, I'm not good with words. It's not my thing. But thank you guys for listening. We're we're <laughs> excited. It was nice to hear that you guys um enjoy our little show. So, Mandy, before we get going, yes. Last thing before we go. Okay. We pulled this from our Patreon this week. If you are not on Patreon and would like to support us, see the extra stuff we have, magnets, stickers, all kinds of stuff, um, check it out at patreon.com slash momsandmurderpodcast. Um, This comes from Kiki. She wanted to know if we remember who our first crushes were and how old we were. Mandy, you go first. So I do actually remember
1: this. I was really, really young. And it's so weird because I think somebody in our group was talking about this recently or I saw it somewhere, a conversation about this. But my first crush, I was probably like seven and I was in like first or second grade and I had a crush on this little boy and just thought he was the best. And I was like the weirdo who would just follow him around the playground (laughs) constantly, just hoping that he would be like. I don't know. leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> be my friend well anyway um this is <laughs> so one day at school he gave me a present and I remember it was like wrapped up in a piece of construction paper like he had put this little thing wow in there you put a lot and, like, of thought like, wrapped into this it in, in the construction paper and so I opened it and it was a legit diamond ring okay so I'm like in my seven-year-old yeah. my life,
0: I'm like, oh my gosh, like your life is already planned for you. Yeah.
1: Like this is amazing. So I go, I take, I take it home and everything. And like, I show my parents, right. And they were like, wait, they're like, who gave you this? <laughs> like, my, my dad was like, you need to tell me who gave, like, who gave you this because we games. have to return it to like his mom probably. Oh my like, gosh. That he probably took it from. So um they did. My parents are very honest. They like took it back and talked to the teacher and like uh I don't know. Somehow they got the ring back to the parents who said, "Yeah, the kid did take it. It was his mom's like wedding ring oh that she gosh. had just taken. I guess she just didn't wear it all the time and he had like found it and thought he was going to give it to me for a present." So um yeah.
0: Yeah, nobody gave me anything. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) This is my story. Sad. I can't even really think of who my first crush was. I I mean, I haven't liked people in general most of my life. So it's hard to think of this. I know my mom had a friend and her son named Joshua was kind of my friend. And I don't know that I necessarily liked him. I think he liked me. That's normally the way it went. I would not give people the time of day and they just loved me I'm just oh, kidding it's still that way no, no not at all but his name was Joshua and I remember he wore these like white I was probably like seven or something he wore these like white basketball shorts and even at that age I was like that's so tacky I hate that <laughs> and um and I remember he got chicken pox, and then I got chicken pox, and then that was like a whole big deal. Ooh. Exactly. And I was really <laughs> pissed about that. Like I did not need to be lumped in with that. But I probably got it because he was like all up in my business all the time. Anytime we played together, <laughs> it was all around me. So I'm sure he's a delightful person now, but super creeper when I was a kid. But I don't think I liked anybody until like the third grade, and I won't even name the person that I liked because I'm actually friends with them now, and that could make things weird. So – I mean, I don't think it would make it weird. Are you blushing? I'm blushing. <laughs> that's hysterical. It's a longtime friend, so I could never say that. But yeah. yes, that's it. Well, there you I go. I don't currently have a crush on them, but I like know their wife and stuff. I can't say that. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> if I haven't said it now, I can't, I can't do it. Just know that I used to pick a flower and do that he loves me, he loves me not all this time. <laughs> it was a whole thing. Always he loved me not. So... <laughs> That's more information that I plan to share. Have a great week, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, hey, hey. It's Carrie, and I host the Sip and Shine podcast. Despite my 13-year-old sounding voice and slight lisp, I invite you to come listen on your favorite podcast catcher, or if you're a little lazy, come check out sipandshinepodcast.com as I chronicle stories of histories, mysteries, scandals, true crime, occults, ghosts, even a little locked up abroad stories. We probably got your jam, and we are judging over here. So of course, because this is an unscholarly podcast, we add in copious amounts of wine, inappropriate humor, candy, and reality. TV references. So come pour a glass of wine and sip with me on this hot mess express. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.